Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I am joined by Barry McCarthy, the CEO of Assure Hedge. Barry, you're very welcome to the show. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. It's it's great to have you, man. Um, typical fashion of the show, first couple of minutes getting to know you so the guests can understand who you are, where you came from, all those uh, interesting insights, and then we'll jump into the main part of the podcast. But from doing some research on you, I know that you went to St. Declan's, CBS, and Cabra. I'm assuming you grew up around that area as well. If I'm wrong, you can correct me, but going off that assumption, what was life like growing up? Any favorite standout memories, hobbies that you enjoyed while growing up? Yeah, um, I, I, went, I did go to, to school in St. Declan's, yeah, in secondary, but I grew up in, in Castleknock, which is pretty close to uh, close to Cabra. And um, mm. my, my parents uh, my parents are from, from the country, Kerry and Wexford. Um, big, big family, you know, six kids in the family, so never... Never a dull moment, and um, lots, lots going on. Um, I guess I got the I got the entrepreneurial bug at a very young age, uh, doing paper rounds and then recruiting the army of little brothers I have to to, to deliver the papers around the neighbourhood, and uh, always had a lot of odd jobs and uh, you know activities going on. Um, got into being a lounge boy then at a ridiculously young age and a barman, you know. So I was always up to always up to, to something in 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 my my younger years, yeah. You mentioned lounge man and barman. Is a stint in hospitality something that you think everyone should have to go through? <laughs> I, I definitely recommend um, being a barman to get over any sort of shyness that you might have uh, as a as a as a teenager in college. Because uh, if you can handle a busy bar, you can pretty much handle handle most things. And uh, yeah, it definitely was a good thing for me in terms of dealing with people, especially drunk people. I mean, if you can handle drunk people as well, you're uh, you're developing a lot of good skills. Um, so I would recommend it, yeah. Question I like to ask is around impact and influence. What I mean by that is people can usually point to three, four, five people that had a massive impact on them in the early days. I think young Barry, um, that has helped you become the person you are today. Teacher, close friend, family member. Does any one person spring to mind for you? Um, I, yeah, I guess an early, like on the business side, an early influencer was was my biz org teacher. I don't, I don't think it's called that anymore. Biz, business teacher, basically in St. Declan's. Um, and I guess I wasn't a br- I wasn't a brilliant student um, in secondary school. And once I started doing business and economics and stuff like that, it really, it really, you know, fascinated me. But I got to thank uh, a teacher, John Caffrey. He he's, he's a, was a um, football player in the Dublin team as well. Um, all-Ireland medal winner but he really just brought the whole business to life never needed a textbook you know one of those teachers that literally just just ran the class just giving examples and stories and he kind of got me he got me fired up about business as a subject you know and I think probably everyone has a teacher at least one teacher like that that you know their passion kind of gets you gets you sucked in and gets you really enthused about a subject and um, and that led me to want to go on and do uh, business in college and economics, which I which I ended up doing. Awesome. Um, well, also, I was um, like I was, I used to read a lot of biographies as a teenager, and I remember reading Richard Branson's 
biography, uh, autobiography was fascinating. And he, 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 he really, you know, blew my mind with what he did with, you know, he got a, he got two GCSEs, which is the same as the junior cert, basically. Um, but just two of them, art and something else. And within, within a few years, he's running a, you know, a multinational, super successful organization, you know. Mm. A few years later, he's taking on British Airways in the, in the European uh, courts for anti-competitive practices. And I really, I really liked uh, the way that he just took, took on the, the establishment, you know. And they were trying to snuff his business out with anti-competitive practices. So that whole book is amazing, his, his, uh, his autobiography. So that was, a, that was a big influence on me as well. Kind of taught me you don't have to have God-given talents to, you know, to be successful, or certainly not, not academic talents, you know. And um, it's really about just being, being nimble and being entrepreneurial and being smart about what you do. Agreed. I will link Richard's autobiography book below in the comment section of or wherever you're listening or watching this. I'll also link your LinkedIn account and your company as well, which we're going to touch on in a few minutes. What better time actually to probably jump in then now? I'd like to rewind the clock to the year 2001. You spent six and a half years as a futures trader between Geneva, Ireland, financial trading, and then in Gibraltar at Make Merex. Uh, Spectron, I hope I pronounced that correct. And um, before you founded Blue Water Financials with a business partner in Singapore, so lots of traveling there. In that almost seven year period, the question I have is what skills do you think that you improved? Perhaps one or two skills that you weren't so great at in your early days, but you knew were crucial to improve on as you moved into that co founder leadership role. Um, yeah, well, well, I mean, yeah, you, co- you covered a lot there. I mean, I got into I got into trading. I got a real passion for 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 um, day trading in futures, and I picked that up when I was doing a J one in Chicago, and and I saw yeah. the you know the the futures floors with all the guys with the mad jackets trading place yeah. the movie. You know, it was actually exactly like that. And uh, I just looked at the floor one day, like two thousand people the energy, just billions that were going around there. And I was completely hooked. Um, I wanted to get into that. Um, but the markets started to change and they went digital then. So I never got to be on the, the trading floors, but I did set up as a day trader. And that means that I, I, I was given money by, um, by a firm to basically make bets on the market, you know, all the time. And it was just brilliant. It was just heaven, actually. Best, you know, it's the best job in the world if you're uh, if you're good at it, you know, but it is tough. And um, so the, the learning, the learning there was really about discipline, which um, I guess a lot of people lack um, and the discipline to the discipline to stick to rules and stick to, you know, good, uh, good routines and, and good trading practices. It's very, very hard. Most people fail at it. Um, the transition then into the transition then into actually managing was, was a big change for me. So it's a hell of a lot different when, you know, you're in your 20s and you, all, you, you, you go in front of your nine screens and you try to make money every day and you get out. Managing a business is hard, you know, and, and I, I ended up hiring about 20, maybe at, at one time I had up to 30 traders of my own. So I was training them, backing them with my own capital and then doing a profit share with them. But the effect of that was it was it, it melted my head actually because I was not used to it I hadn't got those skills you know I just assumed that it was easy and um, management skills in terms of managing a team so it sort of it set my own trading back massively 
um, you know, really, really badly. And, and I had to really just focus on, on managing a team and growing a team. Um, and I moved out to Singapore then about 2008 and um, setting up Blue Water Financials with a, with a business partner. Um, we got in partnership with a big bank there called UOB. So they're like the AIB Bank of Ireland of Singapore, basically. Mm. And we did a JV with them. Um, but yeah, um, I, I had underestimated my own management abilities. I hadn't really developed them, you know, because I hadn't been in normal company backgrounds. I didn't know how to do a presentation. I didn't know how to think something and not say it. Um, and, you know, th this was really, really tough for me to be, you know, trading floors are very brutal places, you know, it's either you make money or you're out and there's yeah. no politics, you know, there's no thinking about feelings and there's no, there's no real anything except what's in front of you that day, you know, in the markets. And so I realized I lacked a lot of the skills. I had to develop them then pretty rapidly um, in order to manage people. And that was a, that was a challenge, you know, when I, when I guess I was 28, 29, I just had no office skills at all per se, you know, no, no, no background working in teams, anything like that. So that, that, that was that, you know, that was a wake up call basically. Where did you go to, to when you recognized that there was the skill set of management that you needed to improve on? Was there books, podcasts, courses, mentors? Like once you recognize that, what action did you take? Um, we, you know, we, we hired, we hired people, to do the operational management then um, and we put more structure in place um, in the company and that that helped a lot um, i didn't do i mean i didn't do any management training or anything like that i just just tried just tried to be aware of what was happening and just improve um, i mean it, it's not it's not necessarily rocket science um, but it's hard to actually put into practice you know you know the, the effect of management techniques um, but I, I, I guess I just learned as I went, um, really. Okay, you're the CEO of a sure hedge now, which is why I got you on this podcast. Um, rather than me give the 30 or 60 second commercial, I don't know the business as well as you. You're the CEO, so the mic is yours, Barry. Yeah, um, what I mentioned, I, I mentioned about the, the, the J1. I don't know if it's still called J1 today. But yes, yeah. Oh, oh, great. Yeah, so I did a J1 in, in Chicago and, and I, I, I kind of got a glimpse of the trading floors. And at that time, um, they, they had a video playing about the history of the Chicago Board of Trade. It's called the CME, Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And it was originally invented to bring together farmers um, and producers who needed the farmers cereals mm -hmm. stuff. and it, it was all about hedging right so hedging risk and the farmer could actually secure a price in the springtime for for the autumn crops um, and it allowed them to build you know build their business plan with certainty and then the the, the cereal producer or whoever needed the the you know the grains or whatever would 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 want to secure the price as well you know for for a future date and that's kind of where where modern hedging was born and I thought this was fascinating because you know all the speculation that happens in markets and um, it, it, uh, it, it, it it's it's kind of it's spawned out of some real you know economic need for these instruments mm -hmm. um, and I went through nearly 15 years then of trading where my only focus was speculation and trying to make money using these these hedging instruments effectively and then I thought to myself 
why does why does an everyday business you know not hedge their risks you know believe it or not 70 percent of all smes with currency risk don't do any risk management or hedging so they don't do any insurance and then i thought oh my god i i, I must be onto something huge here because um Assure Hedge was born out of the need to bring back those products, you know, the, the original reason for them to exist, but to digitally um, and in a, in a very innovative way, give them back to the small business so that they can, you know, if they, if they win a contract in Canada for $2 million, they can actually secure the rate or insure against the, the FX rate. So, so now you can grow your business internationally without worrying about getting hammered on a you know, highly unpredictable um, currency movement. And so that, that was the, the background to Assure Hedge. Today, you know, six years later, since I started it, we, you know, we've, we've raised 9 million um, euros in investments and we've got a, a funding facility of 10 million. And we got the team of the 27 people across three countries now. And we got European investment regulation and payments regulation. We're now applying for an e-money regulation so we're really we're really growing rapidly now and um, although it took a couple of years longer than uh, I, I had hoped for we're, we're finally getting there and um, and yeah we've got we've got really really ambitious plans now for next year and um, really aggressive growth plans um, and you know hopefully a couple of years will be will be all over the world and be you know the the fintech that is leading the charge for digitization of hedging and you know mass market hedging for everybody so if I understood this correctly, because I watched a, a, a six or seven minute talk that you gave on YouTube the other night when I was doing research, and I had heard you mention the cattle story there as well. Um, and you said that up to 70% of businesses globally with FX risk do nothing to protect themselves. FX risk is essentially the risk of not getting the value for your money that you that you secure the deal at that particular time i'm, I'm trying to understand it in in in, in layman terms yeah I'll, I'll give you i'll give you a straightforward example that actually happened a couple of years ago um mushroom producers right ireland produces a lot of mushrooms right more than most country any other country in the world hmm. and and um, we you know typically we export to uk supermarkets like sainsbury's and tesco's right so your mushroom producer in ireland and um, signs a two-year deal or whatever, even longer with Sainsbury's to supply the mushrooms, right? But he or she is not getting paid the sterling. You know, they're getting paid every month. So the, the deal might be worth two or three million pounds sterling or 10 million pounds sterling, but you're, you're, most of it is future dated, right? So you, your costs of production are in euros because you're in Ireland and your income is in, is in sterling in the future. So then something like Brexit comes along and, and the value of the UK pound nosedives 10 or 20 percent in a couple of days right you're now your margin now has just just been wiped out you're still forced to supply the mushrooms to sainsbury's but your economics mean you're now loss making and it this actually decimated the whole mushroom industry in ireland there was you know multi-million pound losses loads of liquidations like so the problem that we're we're, we're solving is a existential problem for businesses if you get this wrong, you you can go out of business, right? So people, you know, people need to take it seriously. The, some of the mushroom producers had used hedging instruments where they knew that their income was coming in pounds for two years and they, they fixed the rate, right? So they secured the rate in a, in a hedging instrument, which meant that no matter what happened, the currency, 
they were going to get the same amount of euro equivalent every month, right? So, so that's, that's the essence of what we do. We allow a business to lock in the rate and then have complete certainty over their euro equivalent of that foreign currency. And some of the mushroom producers that did this ended up absolutely thriving after because they many, many of their competitors weren't there anymore or they were able to buy their competitors out of liquidation and expand their business even more. So it's, it's a really, really significant business advantage to be able to, to hedge. Absolutely. And, and where you come in is you then charge a substantially smaller rate than what they would have lost out on as a, as a service. Yeah, so effectively, like it sounds complex, but there's only two there's only two real types of hedging in essence. There's an insurance premium that you can pay, which means yeah. that you protect all of your downside and you, you still keep the upside. Okay, so that means you might have to pay one percent or two percent of the value. You know, so in other words, if it's a, if it's a one million pound contract you're owed, you might have to pay ten thousand or one percent to insure the currency risk, or else there's what's called a FX forward. Mm which is basically a future dated exchange of currency. So instead of, instead of exchanging today, you don't have the money today, right? You're waiting to get paid from the UK, from Tesco or whoever. You do a future dated exchange. You say, I'll, I'll exchange at a certain rate in six months, in 12 months, in 18 months. And, and the rate is agreed today. You, 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 know, you must follow through on that deal. It's a, it's a binding contract then. So that's called an FX forward. And they're, they're the two essential gotcha. um, components in the, in the toolkit. And, you know, the big businesses, like every big business in Ireland, CRH, all these guys will, will hedge 100% of their risk, right? But only wow. 30 percent of the SMEs will hedge. So yeah. they're, they're at a real disadvantage. And Assure Hedge, our platform is there to bridge that gap, right? We want to get every small business hedging so that they don't get wiped out on a, on a, on a random currency move, you know? It, no, it, 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 it's genius and it makes perfect sense. Um, I noticed that you were hiring on LinkedIn, uh, I believe it was a customer success manager. I could have gotten that wrong. You put up a post within the last couple of weeks anyway on your company page. So I got a question around hiring. There's, a, there's an article that I reference quite a lot on, on this podcast and it's the Harvard Business Review where it says that the cost of a bad hire can be up to five times that person's annual salary. So if you're paying someone 100,000 and you fuck up and it's a bad hire and you lose them, that could cost the business up to 500,000 through missed opportunities and a variety of other different costs. So with that in mind, when you are hiring, have you got have you got a process for hiring? Psychometric testing, different, like the there's a, there's a four or five dip step process or is it, off good feel or off recommendations. Give me kind of a brief overview of how you hire. Yeah, I, I mean, in the early days, I made a lot of rookie mistakes, just, you know, not having a process, for example, and, and, and you know, finding good people and then creating roles for them and this sort of stuff. It, it, it was really, you know, it wasn't great in the, in the first year or two. We, we started to get really, really successful at hiring in the last two years when we took a much more systematic approach you know, as in clearly before, you know, before we meet a, a candidate, you, you see, you get biased the moment you meet someone, you get biased. So we, we, we describe what the perfect candidate would look like and what, you know, what sort of answers you want to hear in an interview. And we measure against that. And then we go forward, like the first three month review, 
um, what what does success look like? And we try to you know see that person you know fitting the success in the first three months performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditionally, we we've had much we we've had less success with agencies, um, and much more success with going out to our network, um, and you know that's led to us going out to our network and just asking a bunch of people you know that we know in that area can look here's the spec we're trying to find like an, an absolute superstar for this position can you give me some names and we've had you know we've had some of our best best people have come in that way mm-hmm. um, and we've had you know it's been more it's been more uh, hit or miss with the agencies and such but i, I think it's really really important to to get really clear on the role first and the things that you want to hear in the interview you know, and measure that quantitatively in some way, um, as as well as having a panel. You know, not just not just one person. You know, you need to put them through a couple of stages and have a consensus. Um, but yeah, that that's been that's been our experience. We are hiring um, quite aggressively now as well. So we we have, you know, we've we've five or six open open roles now, and we're we're coming into a big funding round that we're hoping to get done before Christmas. So. Hopefully next year will be a big year of expansion for us with the team. Nice. So um, if there's, you know, in the sentiment of the network effect and all that, if there's anyone listening that um, likes the sound of what we're doing, you know, by all means, reach out to us and uh, we, we, we'll let anyone know uh, any open roles. So we're looking for um, really passionate people who want to build a, you know, a significant global business in fintech. So if there's anyone, you know, who happens to listen into this that's interested, by all means, contact us. Yeah, I as as mentioned before, I'll leave contact details in wherever you're watching or listening to this in the description box below with anything else we've mentioned throughout the podcast. Um, success. A question I like to ask a lot of my guests is, and this one is for you as well, is what's your personal definition of success? Um, it's a good question. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely not just financial uh, at all. I mean everyone ultimately wants money, but you know, you have to, you have to leave a mark. You have, you have to create for me, like the feeling, the feeling of creating something. And, um, you know, when I started SureHedge, it was literally me and a couple of slides going into the NDRC accelerator uh, with a half thought out idea on, on about eight slides. And then to, to fast forward to today and to see that, you know, to see what's going on in the company, it's got a life of its own. It's, you know, People are excited. We're growing rapidly, and um, it, it's it's in in a way it's an autonomous organization now, away from the original kind of you know founding team. It, it, it's a real company. It's growing with a life of its own. If I'm hit by a bus, it's going to continue its path towards mm-hmm. success. You know, and, and that to me is both scary, but it's also brilliant because I've achieved mm-hmm. what, I, what I what I what what I set out to do to build a company, not not just around people. But a company with a life of its own, and it gives me great satisfaction to see all the jobs that we've we've created, all the businesses we've helped. You know, I was inspired like by, you know, by doing good things with finance because it has a bad rap. You know, banks and financial companies have a terrible um, perception amongst the public, and you know, I was inspired by the credit union movement in Ireland in the fifties and sixties when when it, when it really kicked off before that time it was almost impossible for an everyday person to get a loan a farmer mm. couldn't get a loan a regular person couldn't get a loan you know you had to fit a very narrow 
definition to get a bank loan um, and credit union movement really opened up lending to people who needed it and allowed you know critical finance to, to get in the hands of people who needed it and you know to grow businesses and to to get essential loans and th that's the kind of thing that that i see as success right and we're, we're, we're doing you know some somewhat similar in in the hedging world where the instruments we put in the hands of the clients are allowing them to grow their business with with you know certainty and not not to not you know i said it's an existential problem when a big currency move hits you hard enough you can go out of business your profit margin can erode overnight to to be loss making and and i you know to me that's what that success is all about this sort of stuff that you know in a, in a few years I, I can sit back and go wow you know i was part of creating that and, and it did good and it's doing good and um, i also want to make a lot of money as well if i'm being honest but you know and um, that that's that's a number two and um, num number one we want to create we want to create a really successful global business um, and that actually does good things for the world kudos to you for the success you've had to date is there a tool out there with all the thousands upon thousands of tech tools uh, is there one that you could say that you could not live without um, I know this is not very uh, fashionable to say, but I really like Microsoft, um, and we were <laughs> we, we've 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 started running most of the business over Teams, which is basically like a, a Slack. You know, people yeah. are familiar with Slack. So Microsoft has all this under one roof now, and it's just in terms of running a business, it makes life so much easier because you get a new employee, you you give them one login, and they have all the tools. You know. The, the, the planning boards, the, the email, the calendars, the, the chat functionality, the, the file storage, every, you know, there's about eight or 10, like really good tools they have in Office 365. So um, we could, yeah, we, you know, basically we're, we're a distributed team as well, you know, across three countries. So we couldn't really operate without that, without those tools, you know, without, without Microsoft Teams. And, and I don't know, some people hate, hate, hate microsoft and all that but I, we we've, we found it phenomenally good you know you, it's just so easy to use it's all interconnected um, and you know the teams the team's chat thing is great you know if you, if you use it properly it's, it's really really effective it almost eliminates the need for emails internally and um, so it's really good if anything reduces emails that's a positive um if, final question for you, Barry, is if you were the decision maker in adding a mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum, what would it be and why? Um, I would, I, I, I would have to say, um, I would have to say computer programming would be, would be phenomenally useful for everybody. Not, not just for people, not just if you want to get into computer programming, but I think the, the skill of thinking logically, um, of, of you know, the, the stuff you learn from from doing doing basic coding is a, is a skill you can apply to anything, you know, any walk of life. So mm. I, I definitely think that some you know more more attention needs to be put on on training people at the school level in you know all aspects of how to use computers, but also the, the programming side is a great discipline to have. And not that I'm a programmer, but I have done some of it um, in terms of building trading algorithms with teams. And once you get into it, it, it does develop some really, really excellent skills uh, in, in logical thinking and um, the ability to organize data, you know, so, so working with data would 
be part of that as well you know understanding how data works and how to how to embed that into you know algorithms or, or logical programming um um routines it would be really great um to see mm-hmm. that so, uh, code or dojo and these sort of groups are are are, are doing, doing great things they're in, here in dog patch labs where we are we're based actually so nice they let kids build mini robots and teach them the basics of programming and they love it it's it's fascinating for them so i think that would be brilliant to get that into the curriculum in some way you know copy that format barry it's been great spending the last 30 32 minutes with you getting to know you a little more about your business as well i'll leave links to anything mentioned the hiring the the articles your company page your linkedin page but for today we'll leave it there and i wish you continued success thanks very much Ian. it was a pleasure to be here thanks again if your metro don't trust you, I'm gonna show you Beautiful morning, you're the sun of my morning, babe Nothing in the